Welcome to Diamonds in the Rough Draft, a heartfelt dig through discarded drafts from our past. I'm your co-host, Emily Anderson. And I'm Eric Anderson. Uh, Because this is our pilot episode, we're going to spend some time explaining just what we're doing here. We are both writers of various kinds of fiction and nonfiction, and we are married. To each other. Yes, we are wed, and we decided to wed because it made it a lot easier for us to have these long conversations about books and movies and creative projects. It doesn't hurt that he's really hot. Thank you very much. And as we were planning this project, we realized the double meaning... You don't think I'm hot, too? I just was giving it some time. You know, I wanted to get that into the end of the podcast, since you brought that forward at the beginning of the podcast. Yes, yes. I think you're hot, too. Thanks. You're welcome. Okay. All right. So Uh, we discovered the double meaning of the word draft and... Decided to combine that literary creativity with some light drinking. There's about as many microbreweries as there are podcasts in the world now, so that gives us a great excuse to try local beers and then talk about them. It's for the podcast, guys. Yeah. It's for the podcast. So, apocryphally, Hemingway is supposed to have said, write drunk, edit sober. He probably didn't actually say that, but it works for this. And he definitely didn't give any direction on recording a podcast. So every single week, we're going to sample a new local brew and discuss reading and writing and whatever else comes to mind. In this podcast, we will delve into our records to bring you some of our poems and short stories that need a makeover. We will be reading them and reacting with constructive criticism and encouragement. Behind the scenes, we will take those notes and any suggestions from our listeners to rewrite these works until they are ready to be read again on one of our open not one of our open mic night episodes. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to happen a lot. That's going to get better. (laughs) It's fine. Yes. And we need the audience to develop some opinions, some very strong opinions, and then get back to us About the way Emily flubs her consonant sounds. I actually meant about our works, but that's fine, too. They can critique anything they want. That's that's just fine. On draft this week is... Drum roll. Oh, she did it. She really did it. Okay. Wasn't expecting that. Dos Equis, because it is Cinco de Mayo, and we got Dos Equis from a uh, Cinco de Mayo party that we went to. And guys, free beer is the best beer. Let's it be is. Honest. It is absolutely the best beer. While we drink our way through our Dos Equis, we will be working through Emily's rough draft of... The Earth, My Home. That sounds very exciting. I can't wait to see. But first, Emily, what are you thinking about right now? Well... We just finished rewatching Lindsay Ellis's three-part series on The Hobbit, so I've been thinking about Lord of the Rings. And she was nominated for an award for this, so it... You know, it's worth watching. I mean, we'd follow her to the ends of the earth, but, you know... She hasn't been to the ends of the earth yet, so I don't know that. I really don't. (laughs) (laughs) But, yeah, so it really got us into the mood of talking about Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit, and... So, I've been thinking about... What it would be like if there were more female characters in Lord of the Rings. But you can't just willy-nilly go putting more characters into the story, because there's a lot of characters yeah, already. Yeah, this isn't and... the Hobbit movies. Where you just add in female characters for no reason. And stupid love triangles for no reason. So, so, we started thinking, what characters that are already in the story can be shifted to females? Because there's got to be there's got to be some of them. Uh, Tolkien very famously did not write very many women into his story. Just the one who was a love interest in um, Arwen, and then Eowyn, who it's like a classic shield maiden. Yeah, type. who had her own thing yeah. going on. But then at the end, was just like, oh wait, I'm a love interest too. Never mind, I don't need to fight anymore. You have these wonderful female warriors, and then oops. I don't want to do this anymore. I just want to have babies. Don't you just hate when that happens? (laughs) That's that's how it goes. 
Um, it's the and, aerial effect. Well, I, I'm in love. I don't need anything that I've done previously to this time. I feel, especially with the Elven stuff, with the Elven storylines, he was also really influenced by, like, the courtly love. You know, like, you'd see a lot of this in, like, the Arthurian legends. Yeah. So I think that's why Arwen and Galadriel are so remote. And you have Gimli falling in love with Galadriel in a very courtly love way. It's true, in the way of like, oh, just three strands of your hair will be just fine. Yeah. And I'll never actually see you again, but I'm going to think about you every day kind of way. Yeah, exactly. All the deeds that I do will be for you and in your name, Mm -hmm. you know. Well, but since you brought up Gimli, I think it's fascinating to think about what would it have been like if he had actually been written as a female character instead. They even make the joke, and it's just the movie, it's not in the books, but the the rumor that there are no dwarf women because they look so similar to dwarf men. And if they look so similar to dwarf men, then what's the point? Just, like, make him a woman. Let's see what happens. Yeah, I don't... I'm not as gun-ho about that one. I would be very interested in more... in some of the dwarves in The Hobbit being women. I don't think that would really change the story too much no and you have enough to choose from although when you look at an adaptation it is very very hard to even get all of the dwarves on screen at the same time so inevitably you wind up just losing half of the dwarves in the span of the movie yeah or just clumping them all together well and i think if you really needed to drag your movies out uh, to a trilogy instead of one an easier way to do that than creating a uh, elven character out of whole cloth and shoehorning a, a love triangle that nobody wanted in there would have been to have some of the dwarves be women, and then you can explore the gender dynamics. I mean, presumably they could be having their own feminist struggles, too. I suppose. Of, yeah. you know, what is the role of women in dwarven society, especially in a dwarven society that has completely lost the home, their home and the seat of their civilization, you know, then what can you rewrite? Although it could also be really cool just to have... Okay, so we already have that with Eowyn, right? Where she is a woman that wants to do other things, but she is not being accepted because she's a woman. Like, that's what the people do. That's what the humans do. So it would be really neat, in my opinion, to have the dwarves have a society where that is not true. Where women can go in battle, and it's just fine, and it's not seen as strange in any possible way. Yeah. So with that in mind, leapfrogging back to The Lord of the Rings... We talked a little bit about, would it be worthwhile to make Frodo a woman? I mean, the interesting thing about that is you would have to make Sam a woman because that relationship, and I think this is what a lot of people get wrong in their enthusiasm to find any LGBTQ relationships in good, well-known story franchises. A lot of people want to play that Frodo-Sam relationship as... uh, as a possibility. Yeah, as a possibility. Yeah. As a romantic possibility. And it, it's really, especially if you go if you go back to the text, it's really far more about the relationship between uh, master and servant. Yeah, this was really obvious to me after you, make me, you made me watch Downton Abbey for the third time. <laughs> and I, I was thinking about the interactions between all of these servants and their their lords and masters. And they all, like Sam, throughout the entire book and movie... He's calling him Mr. Frodo. Yeah, that, he's the only one it. who does that. Yeah, he yeah, only calls only him Mr. Frodo. They are not on a first name basis. Like, that is not how the relationship works. Like, Sam is his gardener, 
and he was always seen that way. The only reason he got pulled into this is because he happened to be guarding at the time that Gandalf was yeah. telling Frodo all of this stuff. And, like, he was super loyal. They're super good yeah, friends now. Yeah, it's actually now. kind it's of great. interesting that such a, like... I mean, that's a lower-level servant. Yeah, it's not like it's his <laughs> butler. It's yeah, not his hand yeah. person. It's... They're not even His that. Hand I don't know what that means. <laughs> I almost said handmaid. I'm like, that's not right. Hand person sounds wrong, Emily. <laughs> yes, it does. I just want to emphasize. We don't want to hear about your hand people. Sam was not Frodo's <laughs> hand person. Okay. 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 And okay. I'm gonna stop it to drink it. Drink the beer. How do you drink? That's noisy. I thought they might like some slurp. Some slurp things. <laughs> <laughs> I right. thought they might like some slurp effect for slurp our drinking. Effect. Okay. Yeah. 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 That's how we drink beer, everyone. So to go back to this, throughout the entire thing, it is Sam and Frodo not really together as friends, not together as equals, and you can even see it with Mary and Pippin. Like Mary, Pippin, and Frodo are this higher class of Hobbit. Yeah, and you. I mean, the real bromance in in the text is Marion Pippin. And at the expense of comic relief is kind of downplayed in favor of this really epic bromance between Legolas and Gimli in the movies. But like in the book, it's, you know, Mary and Pippin are like ride or die, hell or high water, like really, really good friends. I think they're like cousins too. I mean, I think all of the hobbits are cousins of each other. Yeah, because... it's kind of funny, though. Yeah. Thing, like, looking back at this, it's like, oh, the dwarves delved deep into Casa Doom, and the elves lived in the enchanted forests, and hobbits are basically just like countryside England in 1900. Yeah. They're just short and have hairy feet. But besides the, that, like, they're, they're straight like up... Yeah. They're Yeah. And they live in holes. Yeah. Yeah, but, they're like yeah, that's it. But besides that, they are straight up English gentlemen and they yeah, have the gentry, same for sure. yeah, they're gentry and they have the same class distinctions and the same servants and, and everything else. yeah because you even have um you know mary's a brandy book and pippin's a took and they both have their little like a lordling you know like there's the mayor of hobberton who is a, a person of some importance but then you also have in Tookland, and I can't remember what the Brandy Brookland. Book... Brooklyn! Yeah, I can't remember what the Brandy Book Land is, and I don't have my copy of Lord of the Rings in front of me. But, like, both of those big families are, like, families of some prestige. And the, um, sire's not the right word. Like, the, um, Seneschal is also not the right word. Let's um... keep saying not right words, then. <laughs> Well, the, like, the clan chief, it, yeah, the clan chief, the patriarch is the word I've been looking for. The patriarch of these families is is talked about almost like a lord. You know, I'm specifically I'm thinking of the Grand Old Took, but I remember that there's a similar title for the head of the Brandybuck family. Hmm. Um, so, yeah, it really is like a microcosm of early 1900s country Britain down to the to you've got your gentry you've got some nobility there too. i would really like to see somebody remake lord of the rings in our just everyday world and if we were to do this the people who are going on the ring quest are just going to be like country english gentlemen in the turn of the 20th century that's how you would have to do it and then you just like instead of the other races you're gonna have other ethnicities and other countries coming around. Like, you know, yeah. here's how the English interact with the French. Like, probably the... 
And what do you think? Like the dwarves versus the elves? Is it kind of like the French versus the English? Or I'd say probably more the French versus the German. But um, I'd say you almost have the French versus the English um, with the men, the men and the humans <laughs> and the elves. I guess there's really no good orcs in our modern yeah. day. Yeah. It's, it's but, hard. But oh, alien we've, invasion. We've, <laughs> we've gotten a little sidetracked, and I'm wanting to steer us back to talking about changing actual... gender roles. Yeah. Oh. So I don't think if I could just wave a magic wand and change whatever character I wanted to a female one, um, I don't think I would make Frodo and Sam female because I think there's actually something really nice about um having positive relationships between men depicted on the page having realized how servile that relationship is it's not my favorite and i'm now much more in favor of the relationship we do get to see between mary and pippin and to a certain extent uh between legolas and gimli you know the bromance a positive non-toxic non-homophobic bromance I think that's a really positive thing for people to be seeing in the world. And yeah, well, and, and Frodo is still a hero because, you know, he persists, he's brave, he does all this, but he's never seen as a warrior. He doesn't need to be a warrior. Yeah. He's just strong and yeah. uncorruptible. Yeah, so I, I think it's worthwhile to keep Frodo and Sam male characters. I think what would be an interesting character to change would actually have been either Boromir or Aragorn or both. To have them be female. Yeah. Um, I think I think that's almost the Queen of Gondor instead. It works just fine. Yeah, I think that's almost a more compelling story with more built in um like tension, like more built in uh conflict for the plot, because the world being what it is, especially when Tolkien was writing these books, a queen who's the last royal of the royal line of her people is just going to have a harder time claiming that throne than a king who's the last yeah. of the royal line of their people. So you've got that that conflict baked in. I mean, all I think that would really have affected is the Arwen Aragorn plotline, which, like, it's not really that important in the books. It's I, really not. Like, yeah. they they give her more of a role in the movies, and it I think it's done to great effect in the Fellowship of the Ring movie. It's like middling effect in the Two Towers movie. It is just confusing and not useful in the Return of the King yeah, movie. Elrond's just like her fate is immediately tied <laughs> to the fate of the Ring for, for some no reason. reason. Don't worry about it. Don't <laughs> think about for, it. For plot reasons. Here we go. Yeah. Whereas in the book, she's just like making banners. <laughs> That's all she does. She just yeah. knits, sews. Crochets, banners. All the I, time. No, she's like embroidering banners. I, I think. knew it was one of those. Yeah, I mean the medieval thing was. They don't crochet. Like, cro well, crocheting and knitting would have been like utilitarian. You would have been making like socks and oh, blankets okay. and, and stuff like that. Um, Embroidery so the, is for the upper class. Well, just for fine, the fine needlework would have been what you do to pass the time. I mean, there's a reason when I made you watch Pride and Prejudice with me, you'll notice that. When the suitors come to call, they throw away, they throw in a drawer what they're actually working on, and they all bring out like fine needlework. I think somebody's working on a tangled bunch of ribbons, but like, yeah. you know, that um, would be me. I tangle yeah. everything. Yeah. So I mean, that's what people did when paint was super expensive. Mm. 
You I know, see that. you'd be embroidering yeah. things. Yeah. Um, so I I find it really interesting that for the most part, changing a lot of these characters to female wouldn't really change anything. Oh, Gandalf. That Gandalf. was my choice, actually. If I had to yeah. change one character, it would be Gandalf because this wizard is essentially sexless. Like, he's not even really human. He's not, yeah. he's not really a person. Yeah, it doesn't he's matter like what gender He's like a kind of pseudo-angel yeah. demon god thing and yeah. that Dolkin just creates. So there's absolutely no reason, as much as I love but, Ian McKellen's performance, like, that could be done by a woman and it would be just fine. Yeah, but if you change Gandalf to a woman, Saruman also has to be a woman because otherwise there's some other, like, creepy kind of conflict undertones going on when he's got Gandalf imprisoned at the beginning of Fellowship of the Ring. There could be. I mean, I I guess it's unfortunate. You're probably right that a man can't keep a woman prisoner without there being these undertones. Yeah. But, But with all that being said, then, I wonder how we would all feel at having Saruman be a woman because we see a lot... We We see so many plot lines... Of women tearing each other down. And I mean, it. that is essentially what Saruman does. He's just tearing all of his peers down. Mm-hmm. He, Well, okay, let's take it one step further. So Saruman is corrupted by Sauron. If we changed Gandalf and Saruman, would we have to change Sauron too? I don't know that you'd have to, but I think that would also be an interesting choice. <laughs> I want to make jokes about the giant eye wearing makeup. But... <laughs> 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 mascara. Yeah, yeah. You just see, like, you a, just see a giant hand <laughs> It slips in a colored contact. Now, just... what color would the eyeshadow be for when it blinks? <laughs> of course. <laughs> what color would it be? Um, um, oh, oh, the eyeshadow with like a little eye painted and eyeliner on oh, top. There you go. No, so... <laughs> I like false eyelashes. I think Sara needs false eyelashes. <laughs> Okay, yeah, that would have been great. That was a real missed opportunity. That was. Speaking of which... Yeah, so all of this was wonderful and really was just an aside for the rest of the podcast. So now, before you give us the dramatic reading, Emily, can you please tell us what you remember about this poem and why it was written? Okay, so just as a reminder, this poem is called The Earth, My Home. Um, So this... When we discussed this podcast, I knew immediately that this was the first poem that I wanted to do on air because I remembered it as being my, like, first writing. But because I am a millennial, I actually have all of my records on the computer, including the bad, I mean, including the poetry uh, that with Room for Improvement that I wrote as a nine-year-old. So when I went back to to pull the copy of this, I actually discovered that this was the second poem I ever wrote. The first poem I ever wrote was called My Starlit Eyes, and it was a nine-year-old's attempt at a romantic ballad. So that one's definitely never seeing the light of day. Oh, it's going to see the light of day. Nope. That's going to be our one-year anniversary (laughs) poem, okay? It's going to be great. Tenth podcast. Twelfth podcast. Um, So... I don't actually know for sure why I wrote this poem. I assume it was for, like, an Earth Day or, like, a science unit in um, in third grade. I, I remember learning other science things. 
science things. in third grade. So potentially we did like a planetary unit, oh, <laughs> a yeah. solar system unit, a space unit, <laughs> if you will. <laughs> um, so I think perhaps that's why I wrote this. Um, I don't remember that part. What I do remember is being so pleased with it that I printed it off on the printer and like ran into the kitchen and read it to my parents and I have a memory of my dad, like, really intensely being like, this is really good. I think you should show this to your teacher at school and ask her if you can read it for the class. And I was so excited that he believed in me that much that I actually did go to school the next day and ask my third grade teacher, Mrs. Wagner, shout out to Mrs. Wagner if you are listening to this podcast or if you... Also had Mrs. Wagner for uh, third grade in uh, Missouri. <laughs> Just the whole state of Missouri. Just the whole state of Missouri. <laughs> well, she moved. She moved to another town oh. after she was my teacher. Um. So, but anyways, so I went to Mrs. Wagner and I asked her if I could read my poem in front of the class, and uh, she said yes. And it's an interesting memory because I simultaneously remember being really excited about, like being a badass reading this poem at the front of the class while also having another like voice in my head being like, this is weird. This is weird that you went and asked to read this poem at the front of the class and then you you're doing it. This is, this is different, <laughs> but I really, really enjoyed that. And, um, I, I think that's the beginning of my lifelong love of reading out loud, reciting out loud. I mean, in high school, I recited down the whole school to go on to a, um, I believe it was called Poetry Out Loud um, competition. I didn't make it past the like regional level, but I really enjoy that. Um, I also really enjoy reading stuff that I've written out loud, and I, I think it comes down to this. So there, that, that is the story of The Earth, My Home. All right. Well, thank you for sharing all of that with us. And now, a dramatic reading. A dramatic reading! A dramatic reading! <clears throat> the Earth, my home. The Earth, our planet, is round like a ball. But Earth is not the biggest planet of all. Earth doesn't have any rings around it. But there are some other things that are special about it. Earth has water, land, and air. The things it needs for the people there. Earth is my planet, I'm happy to say, because I live there night and day. Thank you for your dramatic reading, Emily. Uh, you're welcome. So, the thing that immediately strikes me about this poem is how important like you know it, it's called the earth my home my home is in parentheses by the way i think i had just learned this <laughs> <laughs> guys i'm gonna use these things look look what i did because it's it's actually look eric it says the earth period parentheses my home period parentheses <laughs> oh yeah that's great you definitely just learned those yeah and all of the other lines have commas at the end of every line. So this is all one run-on sentence. 
ending in an exclamation point. Oh, that's true. She's so excited. Oh, this is great. This is so eight-year-old. I love it. Nine. I was nine. You were nine? I okay. was nine. Well, uh-huh. it's kind of an eight-year-old writing it's level. It's like so. important to me that everyone knows this was a nine-year-old writing level, you know. Okay. Well, we, we hear that. I will never make that mistake again. <laughs> I value your nine-year-old writing abilities. Yes, I do. I do. Well, so it was very interesting and um, kind of apparent to me that when you were nine years old, it was very important that you personalize this poem. You know, this wasn't just like a poem about science. This wasn't just a poem describing the earth. This was what it meant yeah, to you. Yeah, if this and... was a scientific assignment, I did a really bad job. Yeah, yeah, you totally <laughs> failed this poem if this was supposed to be scientific. But, you know, it, it's like immediately comparing this to the other planets. Like, there are other planets with people on them. It's yeah. like this is written in some kind of space age where all of the planets are are habitated. Habitat? Habitable. Habit- have people on them. <laughs> <laughs> And hospitable. There you go. Well, that's another word. That's another <laughs> word. But and and you're comparing. You know, it doesn't have any rings around it. Saturn. Yeah. You know, <laughs> all you looking s- at you, Jupiter. <laughs> Come on, of all you people Who over there in space. Who do you think you are? Wait, does Neptune have rings? I feel like Uranus has. Yeah, I think one Uranus little ring has one little ring. Yeah. I no. think it's just the three, right? Yeah. But when I was Wait, nine, when Venus. I was not, no, Venus has Venus no, Venus no, 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 okay. I do know space. <laughs> <laughs> I do know space. I know it well. I have been to the Huntsville I really NASA. thought you were about to say you'd been to space. Uh, no, I've been to NASA space camp in Huntsville. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, they had, uh, at the time, like a rock climbing wall that was stylized like Mars. Interesting because there are no rocks in space. Well, no, there are, you can't rock climb I'm in space. I'm pretty sure there are landforms in on Mars. I mean, I just told you it was stylized like Mars. I feel like you weren't listening. I to wasn't. Me. I was ready to make that joke. <laughs> I just thought it was a strange thing to have in a space museum. Okay, like that's people climb rocks on Earth, guys. That's yeah, it. That's yeah. it. All okay. Right. I'm sorry. Anyways, I'll stop okay, thinking so about yeah, myself. So yeah, here's looking at you, Saturn. With your rings. Earth what is else? my planet. I'm happy to say I live there night and day. There's not a lot of new information being gathered, but it, it is it is great. I know, yeah, yeah, I was as I was reading this, I was thinking to myself how interesting it was um claiming the earth as our home. Like a source of pride. Yeah. Like, yeah, that's right. I am a Terran. I am a Terran. Yeah, I almost saw it as little baby Emily. Using Earth as a metaphor for myself, actually. You know, I'm not the biggest. I don't have a bunch of fancy trappings. But gosh darn it, I have what I need. And and I'm doing... I'm just doing me. There is probably <laughs> a lot of that in childhood where... Especially when we're talking about poetry or like the things that we're writing and, and, and what we're creating, trying to say, this may not be much, but it's me. And it's yeah. what I have. And this is where I live. And this is where I play yeah. my games. And I have fun here. Yeah. So I was, I was also kind of thinking to myself, because part of the point of this is to use the constructive criticism and encouragement that we, we get here to rewrite these. Yeah, so if we were to take and so this was, and rewrite it, what would we do? Yeah, so so I was kind of thinking to myself, like, what, what angle is there on this? And I, you know, if I sat down to just completely write a poem about the earth 
in the way that I did with this, where I just sat down to write a poem about the earth. I don't know that I would initially feel so optimistic. I mean, I, I do believe in climate change. I'm concerned about climate change. I'm concerned about the fact that uh, it was snowing in parts of the U.S. in April. <laughs> um, and I'm concerned about how hot it always is in Georgia, where, where we, we live. live. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, th yeah. there's definitely that aspect. There's the ecological aspect. I also yeah. think about the, like, one world, one people aspect. Uh, if you were to say, like, this is the world, this is my home, and you're talking about it personally, but you're also... Oh, I got really confused. I was like, from Falcon and the Winter Soldier? No! That's a different podcast, No, they babe. were terrorists. <laughs> That's not right. No, no. I was talking about, if we I were mean, to rewrite this... I you understood this... why they felt the need to be radicalized to terror. Yeah, sure. We'll talk about that. But no, what I'm what I'm talking about, my radicalization is just if we were to rewrite this, one angle that could be taken in talking about the earth is the angle that like we all really do live here, guys. Like yeah. we are all united by this one. And this is something that just I don't know, I keep coming back to sci-fi with this because I see a lot of science fiction where the aliens have come and it finally unites all of Earth. Because we realize for the first time oh, that suddenly that is... it is just humanity versus the other, and we stop othering oh, each other in order to go. other other people. I, I at first thought you meant um, like the aliens come and Earth is just gone now because the aliens destroyed it. So where oh, that's is bleak. home? Yeah, well, I don't know. The, well, that I'm, could also be. I was literally looking at the word yeah. home when you yeah. started saying aliens. And well, I was so like, if... well, that's. That's done. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, so that's another that's another take. Let's say that this is a far future society where we have left Earth to move, to live on other planets, but everybody still has this idea that Earth is where we originated. So some little kid is writing this poem about Earth that they've never lived on and their grandparents never lived on, but everybody still tells us stories that we came from Earth. That would be interesting to attempt um, a childlike tone again. Hopefully, um, less childlike grammar. <laughs> that's fine. No, it and to less childlike. Honestly, games. your 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 grammar's fine. Yeah. So we're looking at this poem, guys, and like all of the um, lines are about the same length, except for, but there are some other things that are special about it. So it actually kind of makes my poem look like a concrete poem of Saturn, which I am just <laughs> really uh, amused by. <laughs> Her poem is round like a ball. <laughs> I mean, I mean, as as at the age that I am now, I would have written that line. But there are special things about it. <laughs> Instead, <laughs> you know, she would change up the line I length have, a little bit. I've learned yeah. a little bit of brevity in my age. <laughs> So, yeah, well, what other um, feedback do you have for me? I mean, you definitely knew what you were talking about. Like, you knew from the from the title, from the first line to the end, you knew what you were trying to talk about when you wrote this poem. You know, yeah. you were trying to, you know, Earth is not the biggest planet of all. You were immediately drawing a comparison and trying to state that, like, it doesn't matter what the comparison is. This is where I am. This is who I am. Um, you know, talking about it from the childlike aspect, actually where kids at a certain age always kind of feel like they're small yeah immediately saying earth is not the biggest planet of all gets to that idea of 
oh, I, I'm so small. Everybody else is bigger around me. Am I ever going to grow up? Those kinds of childhood insecurities. Yeah. So I like that. I, I think we could tap into that. Okay. So, I don't know. There's lots of good ideas. It's up to you which direction you want to yeah, go the, the, with it. The and... interesting thing about this one is I could almost take it in any direction. I mean, I could almost do like a series, a yeah. series of poems. None of us wants that to happen. That would be the longest open mic night ever. All right. This is what you need to do. You need to write it from different time periods, all from a child's <laughs> point of view. Okay. So first, like medieval England, kid there. What? Wow. This is the earth, you know? <laughs> the earth, our planet, is flat like a map. <laughs> At the end. <laughs> and then the plague hits. All right. Very short poem. Very short. And then, you know, your My modern day and then one from the future. body will be thrown into the gap of dirt. Well, <laughs> the gap? I was like, why, do, why is the, the mall here? Our planet is I'm... flat like a map. My plagued body will be thrown in the gap. Sorry, I can still just picture it being tossed <laughs> into the gap in the mall. And it's just, I can't not see that anymore. All right, all right. I love to keep talking, but my glass is empty and my brain is full or leaking. And uh, so thank you for sharing your rough draft today. I look forward to hearing it again on our first open mic night. Dear listener, if you have any edits, thoughts, or suggestions on this rough draft, you can find us on Instagram as Diamonds in the Rough Draft or by email at diamondroughdraftpod at gmail.com. If you or anyone in your life is interested in having a draft on this podcast or joining as a guest, please reach out to us. If you happen to be Neil Gaiman or... Or character, Please reach out quickly. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Diamonds in the Rough Draft. I'm Emily Anderson. And I am Eric Anderson. Have a great time and don't edit under the influence. All works read on the Diamonds in the Rough Draft podcast are original works and are not to be reproduced or distributed in any form without the express written permission of the author. All works of fiction on this podcast are products of the author's imaginations, and any resemblance to the actual events, places, or persons, living or dead, is entirely coincidental.